0: What do you see? Is the title of my message this morning? Too many of us saw white stuff this morning, right? But what do you see? Mark chapter eight and verse number twenty-two. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hand upon him, he asked them if he saw aught. And he looked up. And said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hand upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another opportunity to preach, Lord. It's a privilege and Lord, I pray that the hearts would be open to Your Word and help us to see You, to understand who You are. And Lord, I pray You give me Your strength now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this week I read about a blind piano player, and he picked everything up by ear, and uh, he became quite good. He actually became so good at playing the piano. His name was George. He became so good that he he toured. He went around playing different places. Uh, and he, if you found him in a town, you would see him walking. He, he liked to walk and navigate through the crowds with his uh, white or his dark sunglasses and his white cane, as you probably have seen folks similar. And on one occasion, at a busy intersection at rush hour, he was waiting for some help to cross the street. Finally, someone uh, tapped him on the shoulder. What George next heard was not an offer for help, but a request. And the request was the following. Excuse me, sir, a stranger said. Would you mind helping a blind man cross the street? George was about to tell the blind man, I'm blind too. Then he thought, why not give it a go? So George said, certainly, my friend. Here, take my arm. And two blind men set off across the street together. George heard many unnerving sounds as he crossed the street. He had no idea if he was going on green or red. And the squeals of the, of the tires, the horns blaring and angry voices of cab drivers. But they made it to the other side of the curb. Later, George recalled the incident and said, I'll never do it again. But I'm glad I did just once. It was the biggest thrill of my life. I'm thinking, you have a death wish, my friend. Walk across blind. Our text today introduces us to another blind man. And he experienced a thrill far greater than going across a busy intersection, blind. He got to meet Jesus. He experienced one of the strangest miracles of the New Testament as well. Jesus and his men, in verse number 22, had returned to Bethsaida. The last time they were there, Jesus had healed many of their sick in Mark chapter 6. Now he returned, and a group of people bring a blind man to Jesus, begging him to perform another healing miracle. And the request in verse 22 says, and besought him to touch him. These people were Gentiles and they had come to believe that Christ's power to heal resided in his touch. They failed to understand that he was able to heal with a word, with a thought, if he desired. And as we watch the Lord bring sight to this blind man, there's more going on here than meets the eyes. Like all of Christ's other miracles, these are ones that He wants to instruct his disciples about who he was. He's trying to teach his men, his disciples, that he is the Messiah, that he is who he claims to be. He is God in flesh. And they had failed to comprehend, to believe that message in spite of seeing so many amazing things time and time again. The miracle reveals that the way God opened the eyes of the spiritually blinded and the miracle teaches how God is able to take someone who cannot understand spiritual truth and work with them patiently and get them to a point where they understand. Aren't you glad God's done that for you today if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? He took you from being blind and patiently worked with you until you became spiritually awakened and your eyes were open. As this is all undergoing forth, Jesus... Uh, kind of pose the question in verse 26, what do you see? What do you see? In our spiritual life, what do we see? Do you know who He is and understand what He's doing in your life? I, I know uh, there's encouragement for each and every one of us here this morning if we would just heed the Word of God. Verse 23, we see, And he took the blind man by the hand, the preparation for his healing, and led him out of town. The first thing Jesus does when he hears the request of these people is to take the blind man by the hand. Jesus touches him as asked, as requested, but nothing happens. Or does it? Nothing visible took place. Nothing took place as far as the crowd is concerned, but we see some really great truths here. Jesus takes this man by the hand. And leads him out of town. Just as he did with the deaf and mute man in Mark chapter 7. We looked at him before, uh, a few weeks ago. Jesus led this man to a place away from the crowds so he can do his work. Now get this image in your mind. You know We read the scripture so often. I like to put myself in the picture. Not that I'm the person getting the healing or anything. But I like to put myself in the picture that I'm observing what's taking place in scripture. That's a good thing to do because it makes it a little bit more alive than just reading words. So I kind of place myself in the Scripture. I'm, I'm watching this unfold. I'm, I'm in the city or town of Bethsaida. I'm watching this. So Jesus walks up to this man. All his friends are around him because he's blind. He needs help to get around. And they call Jesus to help. Jesus goes over to him. I'm sure he speaks to him. And he takes him by the hand and begins to lead him away. And they... Began their journey in town. I don't know if it was dead center in the middle. But it was in town. And, and I'm pretty sure that the city of Bethsaida wasn't laid out in a perfect grid. I've seen pictures of little towns in Israel and, and that part of the, the world. I mean, they're all they're on little hills and down and crooked streets. And so he would need guidance, wouldn't he? Jesus took him by the hand and probably told him, Okay, come behind me a little bit further. Watch out for the... To your right, there's a car, or there's a horse, or there's someone there sitting there, watch out. And he patiently leads this poor blind man, one step at a, at a time, all the while holding his hand. You, are you getting the picture? You getting the picture? Okay. Think about this. We're accustomed to personal contact all the time, aren't we? Uh, a few moments ago, we shook hands. Now, some of you, I appreciate, you're like, uh, just hit the elbow, Pastor, I'm not feeling so well today. All right, but we're, we're used to handshaking. When we're feeling good and we don't think we're going to pass along long germs to anybody, we shake hands. And it's it's a it's a common place to say, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Especially, okay, this week I'm going to be going to uh, um, Chicago. And a fellow by the name of Brother Mark Julian, the dean of the students at the college, is going to meet me. And uh, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, hey, Brother Julian. Right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go, hey, Brother Julian. <laughs> Give me a handshake. You know? It's just a way of saying, hello. My, nice, nice to meet your acquaintance. That's what we do with handshakes. I know at one time, handshakes were used to you know, firm up a deal or whatever. But in our context today, it's just a greeting. It's the way it works. But when you hold someone's hand for a long period of time, it's a very intimate experience. It's not like shaking hands. You know, Holding hand, hands communicate far more than simply, Hi, nice to meet you. You know what it communicates? I care. I care. Brother Ian's not here today. Ian McLean. I guess he stayed away because of the weather. I saw him this week sitting in his apartment. His dear wife was in that apartment in a... Hospital bed for about two and a half years. She never got out of that bed. And I'd go see them quite frequently, maybe a couple times a month, maybe a bit more, depends on how people were feeling. And I would see Sylvia laying there. And every time before I left, I would hold her hand and pray. And I was trying to communicate to Sylvia that I care. I love you. Oh, and she never once was upset with me. She, she, when she could talk, she told me she appreciated that so much. And I've been in hospital rooms where someone's very sick or someone is going in for surgery to move something and they say, Pastor, can you pray? And you know what I've seen so often? They put their hand up. Please hold my hand. Please hold my hand. That ever does happen to you. Accept the hand. Because it's an indication of, I care. Please show me care. It's comfort. It shows that I'm here to help. I want to bring some comfort to the one who's afflicted, to the one that is hurting. So are you getting the picture a bit here now? Jesus is taking this man by the hand and he's leading him out of town. Watch out for the bucket. Watch out for the kids. Come come with me. Maybe he asked him his name. I don't know for sure what happened, but it does show to us that Jesus cared. And that's our Savior, isn't it? He cares. He loves. You know, let that sink in a little bit. I mean, the miracle is wonderful, isn't it? That this man—he's going to see in just a few minutes. But to see how much Jesus cares is a real blessing. It's a real blessing. Let let that kind of absorb you a little bit. Uh, so quick uh, we absorb things from the world, and I mean, I understand things happen. But pause and think that Jesus cared enough to take this stranger by the hand and lead him to deliverance. What a Savior we have. It's a portrait of how the Lord leads lost, blind sinners and brings them to a place of salvation, is it not? We don't recognize His touch until uh, because our blind eyes, they're not open, they're closed. But we, then we understand later, as He's worked throughout our whole lives or through this whole situation, the Lord is at work. Jesus was working and leading and bringing us to the place of salvation gently leading us right come this way come this way we haven't accepted him yet a savior but he's guiding us every situation every event every tragedy every blessing he was taking us by hand and bringing us to where we need to be to a place where we accept him as our savior because we can't get to god on our own we can't do it we can't do it on our own in our natural state, we're dead. He comes to us, he rescues the sinners and, and, and removes us from the dangerous byways of sin, and he leads us to himself. He's come, follow me. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, look back and remember how the Lord worked. And who he used to bring you along. Can you see the the tender way that He brought you? He wasn't rough on you. He was gently leading you. Come. Come, follow me. Follow me. Come. You need me. Come to me. He brought us and our eyes were open and we saw ourselves for who we are and then we saw that He's the only hope. Can you remember the events that took place to bring you to the place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. What a blessing, amen? What a blessing. Number two, the meaning, the means of his healing, the means of his healing. And he, when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hand again upon his eyes and made him look up in his eye and was restored and saw every man clearly. One of the things about this miracle is that it's so unique is that it's the only time in Scripture or Gospels that I have found that Jesus healed someone in stages. In stages. Usually Jesus touched or spoke and they were healed. Jesus chose to use two steps for this man. This reminds us, or puts into our mind, or at least it should go into our thinker, that God, you can't put God in a box. You can't do that. God works with every individual differently. Because everybody's important to him, amen? Everybody. Jesus raised three people from the dead. And you know, he raised all three in a different way. Jer's daughter, he went in touch. And another man that was on a, on a bed. Who died? He touched the bed. He didn't actually touch the man. He touched the bed. He rose. And then what did he do with Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth! Wow. So, the Lord's not stuck in one box, right? He uses all kinds of things. I'm not saying there's all kinds of salvation. No, 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 no. But God uses every one of us because we're uniquely different. He uses unique things with us. That's just the way we are. And that's the way God operates. He's healing... And miracles were also different. He healed one leper by touching him. He healed a group of uh, ten lepers by speaking to them. Sometimes Jesus would uh, go where the sick individual was. And other times they would bring the sick to him. I I think about the Roman centurion who said, You don't need to go. You just speak the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus healed his servant miles away. Jesus went and touched the sick. Healed from great distances. You can't shove God in a box and say that's the only way He works. You can't do that. Some people have a problem right here. They they hear someone's testimony, someone who has been, you know, through the worst of worst lifestyle, I mean, ran with bad people, did bad things, got tattoos all over their faces and their arms and wherever. You know, they've been affected by sin so greatly and they got saved. And they get up and they give a testimony and everybody's like, Wow! Have you been to hear testimony like that? I have. I can tell you a couple that I've heard. It's like, that is amazing. Amazing experience how, how that happened. And then someone in their church got saved the vacation Bible school when like four years old and they're like, well I didn't have that experience. I, I didn't run with bad people. I mean my four year old friends weren't that bad. You know, we, we didn't run with bad people. We, we didn't, we didn't do any drugs or drinking or anything of that nature. I mean, the worst we did was steal each other's bottles. Hey, it's not about experience, amen? It's not about the experience. Experience does not save you. It's through faith. It's through faith. And you know what? That guy, who gave up that testimony about how he lived his life and how he got saved miraculously. If he'd go back and say, I wish I got saved when I was four. So don't think that you missed out. If you did get saved, at four, like, oh, I missed out. No, you didn't miss a thing. Don't believe the foolishness of the devil when he tries to tempt you with that, that you missed out. No, you didn't. Oh, you got saved from so, from so many hardships. Self-inflicted. If you had, you know, it's through Jesus. Praise the Lord. It's through him. It's through understanding that I am lost and that without Jesus Christ, I'm lost for eternity. It's not by having some, uh, you know, Damascus Road lighten your eyeballs type of situation. No, it's by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Understand, I had to repent. I was going one way in my life, in my belief system, and I turned from it, and I placed my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. And Jesus does all the saving, we just trust Him. We repent and we trust Him. He does all the work. I'm so glad that Jesus tailors the work to each individual. Now, I have met some people in my time, uh, and it's not me. I mean, the Lord just used me as a servant to, to reach people. And I have met some people who were very hostile at first. Yeah. It wasn't really comfortable to witness to them, but they needed to be witnessed to. So I told them, ah, get away from me, type of thing. And then a little later, some things happen in life and I go back, you know, I noticed they weren't so hostile anymore. You know, and a little later on they got saved, amen? There's other people who I've met and I talked to about the Jesus Christ and they're so, so eager to hear. Well, you know, it's, I, I treat them a little bit different than I treat the guy who's ready to give me a slap in the face. And, and you know what? The Lord works different in everybody's heart. He works the same message, amen? The message is the same, but we're all different. Every one of us different, and he works just a little bit. Aren't you so glad that Jesus knows your name? You believe that this morning? He certainly knows who you are. He knows all, what, 7.2 billion people. He knows everybody's name. He knows everybody's situation, and he's working in our hearts and lives. Each receive a personal, individual ministry from the hand of the Lord. We are blessed, folks. We are blessed that our Savior, Savior of the world, will be concerned about us. Praise His name. First thing Jesus does is spit in this man's eyes. I can imagine this man's eyes is diseased and matted shut. I mean, he doesn't know how to clean his face, right? I'm pretty sure I had kids in my house, so I told go wash your face, and they close their eyes and put water on their face and knock out again. The spaghetti that's all over here is not touched, but this side is all nice and wet. You know. How could he take care of himself? I mean, besides a friend helping him, he could not. You know, I could, my mind's eyes matted shut and crusted over and not pleasant to look at. Jesus turns to him and spits in his eye. Now, that sounds disgusting, doesn't it? Let's just be really honest. If someone would spit in my eye this morning, we're gonna have some really intense fellowship after. <laughs> okay? We don't do that today. Alright? But in ancient times, people thought differently than we do now. They believed there was healing power in the human saliva. And you know what? We still kinda of think about it that way today. What do you do when you cut your finger on a piece of paper? Right? Oh come on, don't you act like oh, I never did that, Pastor Alcock. No. No, you all done it. You that little paper cut that hurts so bad. It hurts worse than like if you break a finger. It hurts so bad. Oh what that's the first place you put it. Right in your mouth. And every one of us is you know, our mindset's like that. Now it does feel pretty pretty good when it's in there, doesn't it? Oh take ah, oh, you know, take we just do it. There's a whole bunch of other problems with that theory that it's healing, but it feels pretty good in there, but I'm not going to talk about all that. But anyway, that's the way they were thinking. It was full of deadly germs and things. So Jesus spits in this man's eye, immediately touches the man. So he says there, and put his hand upon him, verse number 23. Why would he do that? Well, I think he put his hand on him to let him know, I'm about to do something with your eyes. I'm gonna. I'm about ready to do something here. He can't see, but he can feel the touch of the master. The Lord is working in a way that makes no sense to us, does it? We read this, we're like, this makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. But man, did it work? Now, Not as we would think. The first step, and Jesus asked him if he sees anything, and the man opens his eyes and. Okay, that would have been pretty amazing. He can actually see. If his eyes were indeed matted shut and all the other things, he opens his eyes and he can start to see. He says, I see men as trees walking. And that tells us a couple things. First of all, I think this tells us this man was not always blind. But how could he tell what a man looked like if he didn't have something to look at before? I remember as a kid... Uh, A good friend of mine, his mom was legally blind. Now, she could see, but, you know, there's a legal ramification, you know, type of thing. But she worked with the CNIB, and they brought in a blind lady, totally blind from birth. Brought her in and explained to us in school about how they operate, how they live and things. You know, and I remember I was only a kid. I'm like, I got a question. Obviously, she did not see my hand. Someone was in the room saying, who's next? And I said, uh, so what What can you see? I mean, it's so hard to understand as a kid. You can't see anything? I said, do you see black? I said that. And she goes, what's black? Well, you know, black. And by this time, his teacher interrupted because I was getting a little fired up. Like, how can you not understand what black is? If you're truly blind, you'd have no concept of anything like that. So this guy, this man, somewhere on the way, probably got some sort of disease. Once he could see, now he can't. Now he's starting to see again. We see that uh, the healing was not complete as well. And this partial healing, and I have heard this, and it's disturbing, and you probably have heard it too, this partial healing does not suggest, as some commentators like to imply, that the healing powers of Jesus were failing. They're actually saying that the opposition to his ministry is so great that the power of the devil so strong that Jesus was not having, was having a hard time healing this man. That is the biggest pile of garbage I have ever heard. No way. There's no way that if the devil could do that, he would do that. But he can't do that. Jesus is too strong. He's the creator of this world. And Jesus is using this man as a living, teaching opportunity, a parable. He's healing him. and He's giving a valuable lesson to his disciples. It's not because of the devil. So next time you read that in a commentary, get a big black thing and... That's a bunch of garbage. The devil's not stopping my Savior or your Savior. Now. The devil was created. At one time, he was an angel created for the glory of God. He failed rebellion. Pride got in his life. He is created by Jesus. So the creation does not exceed the creator. Then Jesus touches him again. Verse 25, And after he put his hands again upon his eyes, he made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Now He sees his, high, his sight is totally restored now. Before he saw them, I know I read that this week, I'd be like, that would be really scary to see men walking around his trees. That would really scare me. I'm glad it went all the way and he could see everything clearly. Teaches us some things. There's always a spiritual application with the Lord. I'm so glad for that. And the Lord has an application for us. This blind man is a living illustration of a spiritual condition of his disciples. He had been using one amazing, shocking miracle after the other. After the other, after the other, what are his disciples? To teach him, what was it, Jesus trying to teach his disciples? That he was Messiah. That he was the very Son of God. Healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead, walked on water, multiplied the bread and the fishes, along with all kinds of healing of the mute, the, the leper, the, uh, uh, you know, the blind, whatever. Trying to prove his identity and his deity to his disciples. But these fellows never really got it at that time. They missed out. They wouldn't fully comprehend who Jesus was until he died and he rose again. Jesus led his disciples from a place of total spiritual blindness to a place where they could clearly see him. They were just like this man in verse 24. They couldn't quite see everything. They had been the man like the man, verse 22, totally blind in sin, you know, spiritually. And they followed him eventually led him to a place where they totally understood who he was and could see him as he was. You know, that's our, the Lord's goal for us today as well, for his children. When the Lord first began to work with us, we were totally blind in our sinful condition, right? We were. I was totally blinded in my sinful condition. He brings conviction into our hearts and lives. I can still remember sitting in that pew and I was not feeling very comfortable. I was wanting that service to be over. I wanted to go grab something to eat, go talk to my friends. Get out of here! Because the conviction was on. You know, it was like the oven was on full blast. And there was no escape for me. The conviction was right there. And he was shaking my world. He used conviction to open our eyes spiritually and point us to Jesus. When I was sitting in that pew feeling convicted, you know what I knew right away? I needed Jesus. I wasn't like, oh, I need to go find out some other alternate religious system to see if I can get rid of this conviction. No. The conviction was brought in my heart by the Lord, and the Lord was saying, "Go, you need Jesus. You need me. Come to me. I won't cast you out. And when we come to Jesus and we're saved, it's a miracle. Amen? It's a miracle. And then we see some things. Now, we don't see them perfectly. It's like Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13:12. We see through a glass darkly. Now, our eyes are open, but we don't see everything. When I got saved on April the 1, 1st, 1996, I did not know everything about the Word of God or God. It was my first step. First step. Aren't you excited when you see a baby take that first step? And then about two weeks later, like, why did I encourage that at all? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You know. But we'd be really upset if that kid didn't take another step. Right? I mean, for a couple days, we're excited about that one step. They're like, okay, do two. Do three. And then one of five, get back in this house right now. But you know what I'm talking about. It's our first step in our spiritual journey. And as we spend time with him in his word and in prayer, he develops our spiritual sight, does he not? He shows us things. He helps us grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and and Savior, Jesus Christ. His goal is to take us like he finds us. And he finds us in a pit, doesn't he? We're wallowing in our sin. Oh, we think we had it all figured out at that time. Oh, we were living a high life. We were having a great time. Jesus takes us up out of that horrible pit. Let's just remember where we came from. Because the old world can fool us and say, Oh, you're missing out. I'm not missing out being in a pit. Picks us up out of that pit and brings us into His home, into His palace, into His way. wants us to become more like the Savior. Sadly, we're like the disciples though. The Lord has proven His power and glory to us in more and in more ways than we can name. And sometimes we still don't get it. We have seen Him do the impossible. We have seen Him do the incredible. We have seen Him do the astounding time after time. But we still doubt. Oh my... That hits close to home. Does it not? Oh, we we prayed for years for that man to be saved. And he got saved. Praise the Lord. Oh, I don't know if your mom will get saved. I'll pray. Give me a break. The Lord can save her just like He saved this man over here. Let's be praying. Let's be working. Let's be laboring. Oh, let us be a faithful People, people of faith. Are you growing in the things of God, Christian? Is He leading you along one step at a time? Are you making progress in your Christian life? Uh, when we're first saved, we're a, we're a babe in Jesus, right? That's why salvation is called the new birth. Amen? The new birth. But we're not supposed to remain babies. No. know, um, This past summer, I met one of my cousins, and she's got the cutest little guy I have ever seen. And he liked me. Of course, he would like me. So I picked him up, and we were going around everywhere, and I was giving him... Okay, I don't know if this is a word that you use, but Zerberts. You know, you're on the face, and he'd be laughing all the time. I'd be rubbing with my whiskers, and he was... Oh, he loved it. And I loved it, too, because when he smelled bad, I gave him back to his mom, you know, type of thing. So, you know, I'm playing with him, and, you know... Now, if I go back and see my cousin in two years and that little guy is still the same size, what's wrong? Uh, are you feeding him? What's your problem? You can talk to your family that way. Come on, you talk to your family that way. All right. You'd be like, what's happening? Is there something wrong? Do you need to go to a doctor? Can I help you get there? I mean, there's something wrong here. Listen, there's something wrong as Christians if we're still the same size as a little baby in Jesus four or five years after we've gotten saved. Yeah, there's a problem. We need to be growing. We need to be making spiritual progress. And the reality is, as we're making spiritual progress, don't think you ever get to the place that you attain here on earth. You ever think, well, this is the last hike and I will reach the pinnacle of my Christian life. No! You're gonna grow and grow and grow until the Lord takes you home and the rapture of you pass from this life to the next. We never, you know, max out on our spiritual growth. There's always more to be had. When you start thinking that way, you're in trouble. This is not about that. Maybe you're here today and you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're trying to figure all this Christianity thing out. You you don't understand why we do this or why Christians do this or why does this happen and so forth. It's likely you'll never have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I'm glad I got the Word of God to give me the answers, amen? I'm getting God's Word and find answers. Let me encourage you just to take that step of faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you you understand that you're lost and without Him you're lost for eternity, don't go another day. Don't go another moment without Him. You know, you get it right today. Don't go forward without Him. He's the greatest. Making a choice for Jesus is the greatest thing you could ever do. He'll change your life. The footnote of his healing, verse 26. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. So Jesus heals this blind man, right? He he takes him and his disciples see it, and they never really grasp the full message here. And It's a powerful message. It's a powerful miracle. But it ends on a very sad note. Jesus tells the healed man that he's not to return to Bethsaida. Nor is he to tell anyone in the town about the miracle. It's pretty clear. Neither go into the town nor tell any in the town. Now, why would Jesus do that? Why not tell everybody? We've read other verses of scriptures where Jesus tells someone not to tell them and it's, it's like your kids, right? Don't do that. And they go do exactly the opposite you tell them to do. And they're, like, they're like, Jesus says, don't do it. Man, Jesus, this healed me! Woo! It's amazing! This, this guy doesn't do that. And he's instructed not to even go back to town. Why? There's a couple reasons why. The Seda is near a place where Jesus fed the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. And they were given clear evidence that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, but they refused to believe in Him. They refused. And as a result, Jesus pronounced a curse on the city of Bethsaida. Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto Bethsaida! For in thy mighty works were done in, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they were repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, I shall be more tolerable... For Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment then for you. The town of Bethsaida had rejected, had been rejected by the Lord because they, because of their unbelief, because they had rejected Him. They rejected the great light they'd been given. They would receive no more light. They had turned their back on Jesus and Jesus said, okay, you're not going to have me. That's fine. That's why I believe Jesus took this man out of town. Besides showing him love and compassion, which he definitely had. That's why he took this man out of the middle of town, or towards the middle of town, out of town. That's why Jesus told the man not to return to the town, because the town was off limits. Jesus was still, Jesus is still willing to deal with individuals, amen? He's not gonna stop the, the saving of individuals that come to him. But this community had been judged, but individuals could still be saved. I thought about that this week. You know, I think about our. I love Canada. I love the country I was born and raised in. I love this place, but God's not happy with Canada. I believe, I think God has rejected Canada because of the sin and wickedness that's promoted from on high right to the bottom of the barrel. Hey, folks, abortion is never right. You know, God tells us what the proper. You know, family looks like. You know, uh, having a, uh, a lottery to make money, promoting gambling and drinking, and other vices from the Word of God that God says is wrong, and our government says, well, let's use it so we can make more money. Oh, there's so many other things too. I don't think God's one bit happy with Canada. But I'm so glad that God still saves Canadians doesn't matter what nation you're from because you know, the Lord will take all that will come to Him. All that would come. And that's why I'm encouraging our church to be telling other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Be giving out tracts. Inviting people to church. Because Jesus still saves. No need to stop. Still saves and blesses and uses individuals. If you hear His voice, you can be saved from your sins. you can become a child of God. You know, just, just don't take advantage of the grace of God. Say, oh, no I need to get saved. I'll do it later. Listen, my friend, you don't know what later is for you. You don't know how much later you have. You know, the Lord wants you to come to Him, but if you continually turn your back from Him and continue to turn your back from Him, one day you'll say, I don't need Him. You don't want to be there, folks. You don't want to be in that place where you've rejected or took advantage of the grace of God. Don't let your story end like that of Bethsaida. Let it end up like the blind man who said, I need Jesus. It's interesting, hey? Back in uh, uh, 22. And they bring a blind man unto him. So obviously the blind man need to know about Jesus to be willing to go, right? But he had some friends who knew that Jesus could do this work. Aren't you glad for friends in the ministry and friends in the church that see the need and they work together to accomplish so much more than we could by ourselves? Hey, we got there's such a great work to be done. I mean, you could get really discouraged if that's all you focused on was the work. There's so much that needs to be done. I'm so glad I got a Savior who can empower us to get the work done. He's in our own. We won't. We can't. Come to Jesus and be saved while there's time. And listen, Christian, don't, it's time for us to grow. It's not, it's not time to sit back in ease. It's time to see our vision grow. It, it's time for our lives to get some traction in our spiritual life and go forward for Jesus Christ. So what do you see? Has the eyes of your soul been opened? Have you seen yourself as a lost sinner headed to a Christless eternity and your only hope of salvation is Jesus Christ? Well, if you come to that point, there's only a little bit more that you need to go and you'll be saved. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus and you're there. It's it's not a 15-day process or 15-step process. It's simply understanding I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I need Jesus. Repent of my sin, I no longer whatever it is, you, you understand that a, a religious system or any kind of philosophy that's contrary to God's word is sin. So if you're believing this system will for your life that's contrary to God's you didn't repent of it so you turn from it you're, you no longer believe that you're believing in Jesus. That's what you need to do. You're, you need to do that. You need to do that for your for your sake, for, for eternity's sake, for Christ's sake because he loves you hey maybe you have come to the point that you have seen that truth that jesus is the savior and you've accepted him as savior are you growing you know you, you got saved so many years ago you you've been plodding along are you growing don't get stagnated don't stop keep moving forward keep Keep going forward. Be an encouragement. Uh, I can remember as a kid going out into the, the forest, the woods in Newfoundland and, uh, you know, we would come across a little pool of water and it was stagnated. Green goop on top. It smelled. Ugh. We would never drink from that water. You know, what we would do with that was throw rocks in it. Throw some sticks in it and move on. But then when we got that little pool of water, that was fresh and clear. Oh, that's what we drink from and slap it all up in our faces and get refreshed. Hey, don't become like that stagnant little pool of water. Keep going forward. Be fresh. Be refreshed in Jesus. Be renewed in the Lord. Keep going forward. Are you maturing in your walk? Becoming less like your old self and becoming more like Him? Has the Lord spoken to your heart? What do you see? What do you see?